Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show, hour number three. Thanks a lot for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. Going to talk a little bit about housing vouchers, Section 8 vouchers. So I'm curious, do you, if you're a landlord, do you accept these vouchers? Do you not accept the vouchers? What, and, and, and what would be your thought process behind this? So... The reason I ask and the reason this is news is because the Charlotte City Council approved a policy last night uh, or Monday night that would ban some housing providers from refusing to rent to Section 8 voucher holders, becoming the first city in North Carolina to pass such protections and ban source of income discrimination, or as I like to call it, SOID, S-O-I-D, or SID, if you want to. If you're of that persuasion where you're like, I don't use the acronyms with the, you know, the lowercase words like of or the. So it's the SID or the SOID. I like SOID. As the source of income discrimination. So in essence, this is a new protected class. Okay. So you cannot refuse to rent to somebody based on, right, like that whole list of the protected classes. Race, religion, ethnicity, gender orient, uh, or uh, uh, sexual orientation, like all of that, right? You have all of the protected classes. And so this is now another protected class, which is if you have a voucher. If you're coming in with a Section 8 voucher, a landlord cannot say, I'm not going to rent to you. I don't want that voucher. I don't accept it. Because it's, I guess the argument there is that it's sort of, a, it's a it's a discrimination by proxy. There's some other reason that they're saying they don't want to accept your voucher. They don't want your money. Right? So you think about it. You show up. I've got a, a voucher for $1,000, and I can cough up $1,000 a month out of my own pocket so I can afford a place that's two grand a month. But if the landlord doesn't take the $1,000 voucher, I can't afford that space. So is there some reason that the landlord is not wanting a Section 8 voucher as payment? What do you think that might be? Hey, all right, so folks on the left and the ones who believe in all of the racism everywhere, they're going to say it's racism, bigotry, discrimination of some kind based on these other protected classes and the Section 8 housing uh, discrimination or, or soid, that that's sort of just a proxy for its window dressing for some other bigotry, right? But is there another reason? Might there be a different reason why a landlord might not be interested in taking this Section 8 voucher money? What might it be? Can you can you fathom a reason? I can. I could think of a couple reasons. So for starters, they may not take great care of the place because it's not their money. Look, I've I've rented longer than I have owned in my life. I was actually kind of startled when I kind of did the math on that. It's it's close. I'm and I'm and I anticipate going back the other direction. You know, the scales of ownership versus Renting is, I think it's going to tip back to the ownership side. But um, I've, I mean, I rented all through, you know, college and the years after college. And then I bought my first house in 05. So from essentially 94 to 05, that's, you know, nine years. And then from 05 uh, until about, I don't know, the early, I guess when it, I'm trying to think when we finally sold the house was probably nine years later. And then we just bought our other house. So, uh, you know, 
nine and nine and then renting. And so now I'm hoping, you know, in a couple of years, four or five years, I'll be, I'll be more homeowner than uh, renter. Pros and cons, people. Look, there are definite advantages to renting. There really are. I didn't have to worry about anything. When it came to maintenance, I would just call up somebody. They would come and do it. I didn't have to cut the yard. I had a lot of extra free time. That's one of the big challenges now that I'm in the house. Like, oh, gosh, I got more stuff to do. Anyway, I'm, I'm down a tangent here. But um, this policy says that developers or housing providers who, here's the key, who receive city support for the project cannot deny renters who use the vouchers. Right? That's the idea. If you are going to come to the city and ask for support, ask for help, then you don't get to deny people with vouchers. That's what the city wants to do. Okay, I I understand that concept. I might actually agree with it. If you're going to come to the city and ask for taxpayer money, then I don't think you get to say, no, I won't take some of that taxpayer money as payment that comes from the federal government, right? That's sort of a... Like, that's the whole point. It's why the city is incentivizing these types of things. Now, you can oppose the incentivization to begin with, but as long as that is there and the vouchers exist, I get the logic. I can understand it. Um, They go on to say that the Great Neighborhoods Committee will decide on adding specific language about what market rate housing is included in the policy. What does market rate housing mean? Well, that just means whatever the market has whatever the market rate is, right? If you look in the neighborhood, you got a bunch of people uh, that are renting and the average rent in that or the median rent in that neighborhood is $2,000, then that's market rate housing. But what if you went to the city and you got a grant and you want to build market rate housing? Well, you got to, you have to accept the vouchers. Okay. But what if you bought the land, you assembled all these different pieces of land and then you brought in a third party and you're going to have them build the project. Or how about this? You started to build everything. You entered into what's called a tax increment grant. They used to call these things tax increment financing or TIFs. Now they're TIGs. They call them TIGs. You're going to hear this in the sound bites. TIGs, tax increment, which is essentially where the city says, okay, anything above and beyond the current tax income that we get for this zone that you're in. So if you put a bunch of money into it, you'll get to capture all of the new revenue and you get to keep that new revenue and pump it back into that area for improvements. For example, like uh, these are special tax districts, if you will. Center City Charlotte's got one. They, they, people in Center City, businesses, they pay more money that goes directly to their little zone. South End has one, okay? Uh, so if you do a TIG, they're saying if residential is a component of that, then they need to make sure that that, um, that residential takes the vouchers. Okay. Well, who's on the hook for the enforcement side of that? What if I assemble, uh, assemble all of the land? What if I assemble the land, I enter into the agreement, and then I subcontract out to another builder? Is that builder on the hook for it? Theoretically, I would say yes. But the city wants to come after the master builder. The city's saying, no, go after the developer. Not, not just the builder. Well, wait a minute. So now I, as the master developer, I have to monitor all of their compliance, whether the landlords are taking vouchers. I have to monitor that. That's way below the line for me. I'm just up here assembling land. You know, I'm just putting all of these big pieces together, and then I let everybody underneath do that thing. And I'll tell them they have to abide by this ordinance, obviously. 
But that's not that shouldn't be on me. I shouldn't be getting nailed for enforcement action if somebody else I'm unaware of is not taking vouchers. So I have just described to you the problem. You will hear up next how apparently a lot of our city council members cannot figure this out. They cannot figure this out. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, I worked hard over a very hot microphone and computer for hours on end watching the city council meeting and then splicing together this montage to illustrate the confusion that the Charlotte City Council had over the SOID, the source of income discrimination policy that I think I pretty well summed up in about 30 seconds. But here was them last night all... In their glory. There have been some different interpretations of how to um, how to apply the recommended source of income policy that was discussed at the last at the last action review. And I, I take accountability to the extent any of this has become a little bit wrapped around the axle. I just want to be really clear. I, I'm not great at these things at the last minute at the dais. <laughs> I'll be the first one to admit. Approve the policy, give ED staff uh, time to work with Housing and Neighborhood Services, and come back with appropriate proportional enforcement. And, and I mean, staff thinks that's okay to do. You're, well, m- my only because you guys have been working on this. We haven't for, right. you know, we're just hearing this tonight. Can we get it back up on the screen, please? On the screens close to us. Staff endorses this? There are many nuances, and that's what we've been trying to tease out over the last couple of weeks is what are the various hypothetical scenarios? Like why, why would we piecemeal it like this? The position is clear. So in so much mm-hmm. as we can confirm the position and, uh, and then confirm the appropriate uh, enforcement of said position, I'm absolutely fine with doing it separately. I, maybe I have a question. So are we I'm going to pass the policy of the so, um, source of income, but we're not going to pass the enforcement for any part of it until the enforcement is done. That's right. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Do we make a motion to discuss? Oh, I'm sorry. For the sake of discussion, I move to approve the policy and um, defer the enforcement uh, approval to the August 22nd meeting. Second. Second. Wait, isn't that a substitute motion? No, we didn't That's make an original, original motion. It's the original motion. <laughs> no motion has been put out on That's the floor. That's the first motion. Mm-hmm. It is the first motion. Second. All right, we have a motion and a second. Ms. Hajmira. Thank, thank you, Madam Mayor. So this language right here on this screen, that doesn't apply here, right? In yeah. your motion, to your motion. This no, is, no, this yeah. is the motion. This is the motion. This oh, is the motion. God. The motion, Ms. <laughs> Watlington, would you... Read or restate your motion that includes this deck or the slides on the deck. Sure, and I'm happy to do this as a substitute or a primary motion. You've got a motion on the floor. You've already got a motion. I'm just saying. um, Right now, the motion on the floor is to accept what you see on the screen as the policy, and then to and then work on the enforcement piece later on for August 22nd. Got it. Okay, I'm good. All right. All right, so that is the motion on the table. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Any opposed? Yeah, three hands. Two opposed. Uh, three. Three. No. Oppo- no, no. I, two wait, opposed. Wait. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I saw your Give hand. people raise hands. All right. So, all right. So, Mr. Driggs and Mr. Bakari. I don't understand what we're voting on. No. This is not. And maybe the, the 
ad hoc. Chairwoman can clarify for me. The language in our business meeting agenda did not include what we just saw on the screen. Mm -hmm. Right. So are we voting on what's in the agenda? Or are we voting on yes. this piece yes. and not voting on the agenda? Wait a minute. I, maybe I misunderstood. I thought we were changed. voting on oh, the agenda. Oh, for the love of me. No, no. The item that was recommended and that we were going to have staff and we're supportive the of the staff. The motion is the screen. It's exactly. only the screen and only not the screen is the motion. Correct. And, and not the, new thing not the item that was submitted for the not the non-discrimination. This depends. So, okay. Just okay. I'm so sorry. I'm lost. The, all right. Does that is everybody clear about what we are saying here? <laughs> and this all evolved very quickly. Uh, I, I, let me see if I can try this one more time. You have a policy order. that's in front of you. Point of order. Didn't it? Didn't it pass? No. Okay. Oh my right. God. It did pass. Yes. Ms. Johnson, it's passed. passed. Yeah. Right. It's passed. Yeah. What I'm clarifying is that it's still not enforceable. We have no enforceable okay. way of dealing with it. So we have a policy that needs enforcement, and that has to come back to council. But it does not. You, did you say it has to go to committee? It's not going to committee. The, the right? two yeah. chairs asked that they come to the committee. That's go what to I, committee again? The, the enforcement. enforcement would go to the committee. I thought I heard Ms. Watlington and Mr. Graham agree on that. So I'm putting it in committee for the enforcement and then come back to us. That's what we're doing. All right, so that item is concluded. All right. So does everyone still know what they voted on? I think that I think people know what they voted on now. Yeah, I'm sure it's all crystal clear to everybody what happened there. Here's the problem. You had a you had a policy. And they had worked in this committee, and at the last minute, apparently, some language got got changed. And what they wanted to do was to say, "Here's all of the policy. Here's the enforcement. Right? We're creating a protected class. Here's the enforcement component. We'll figure out the enforcement later. Right now, we're just focused on the policy." But they tried to throw in a changed. Uh, a piece of change language for the for the policy, which was to add a term third party developer, master developer or third party. Right. They wanted to they added that extra part in there because they didn't want to give somebody the wiggle room that I outlined earlier, where if I assemble the land, I do this big project, I sub out or maybe I go bankrupt and someone else takes over that I sub it out to somebody else. They want to make sure that the third party's on the hook and I am still on the hook. They want to come after me if I sub it out to someone else. That's, that was what was thrown in there. That's the concept. We'll work on the enforcement come August. All of that to get to the point that we are, at, we are at now, which is where Watlington accuses Driggs of engaging in white privilege. Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, so against that backdrop, you just heard of the Charlotte City Council's awesome debate over the SOID. The SOID is the source of income discrimination policy. Basically, you have landlords in town that don't want to take Section 8 housing vouchers, and they're saying, look, if you're going to engage at the city uh, in some sort of a development fund activity, you're going to take city taxpayer dollars and you're going to use it for your development, then you should have to take the uh, the housing vouchers. Okay. Ed Driggs, Republican. He did not want to add the uh, the language about a third party 
being on the hook or the master developer being on the hook for the actions or lack thereof of the third party because it did not go through the committee process. So uh, I talked to a number of people today who are affected by this or involved in this, and I don't believe they were aware of this proposed change. And I think the stakeholders ought to be able to provide their response before we move ahead with a change like this. I don't know whether this was notified to the Apartment Association, to Rebic, and to other parties, but uh, it's just hard to appreciate um, how it could play out or what the implications are, what kind of measures we take. I mean, we offer TIGs for a variety of reasons, and I understand the goal of making sure that we get value uh, in terms of this source of income discrimination. But there are constellations where it's, it could have an unintended effect, and I think we ought to be more careful about it. So I don't know what the answer is. I mean, can't we pass the thing as was originally agreed, and then if it is the will of council to amend it, or if we find that we can make that change, and we have thought through exactly how it would be enforced, we just make that change. Right. I don't know why that has to go in tonight without the benefit of what I would consider to be due process. Right, exactly. All right, next up he says uh, he elaborates on potential problems with the newly added language. Mr. Driggs? <clears throat> so, uh, I am entirely in support of uh, the goals that we have established here and of okay. what it was I thought we were going to vote on tonight. I would like to clarify that if you have a rezoning and somebody sells a portion of the property, the seller of that property is not liable. <clears throat> The buyer of that property is bound to use the property in accordance with the zoning that's been assigned to it right. or, or apply for a rezoning. Right. Now, what can happen is that the seller of the property offers it with the condition that its terms under the TIG will be met by the buyer. Mm -hmm. And that would be the burden on the seller of the property to ensure that they remained in compliance with their TIG agreement when they sell the property to somebody else. Right. The, the, the other difficulty I have, though, is that when we talk about, hey, this is just policy, it's not enforcement, we're talking about whether or not any enforcement applies. We're talking about whether something should be put in place that will be subject to penalties or enforcement or not. So it's not the same thing. This is a step that implies that there will be enforcement, and then there's a question about but if we don't take this step, there is no enforcement. So I think there are two separate questions. I, I think the question of whether or not we want to try to attach liability to a third party um, is a basic question. And then if we decide we do, the enforcement question comes into play. But really, I think the best way is for us to rely on the master developer to be bound by the terms of the TIG and to ensure that any subsequent transactions they enter into conform to the terms of the TIG and not try to somehow pin something on unnamed and unknown third-party developers who may come along. We can get the enforcement we want. We will get the, the TIG will continue to have the effect of requiring that housing, and that effect will pass from the master developer to anybody else. Right. But I, I don't think that, uh, I think we should be able to rely on the fact that the master developer knows that they won't get the benefit of the TIG unless they ensure that the terms are met including in the context of any transaction they enter into with third parties. That is exactly the intent of the word. So that's what that says, right? Right. That's, that's the intent of this word. Um, 
Okay, but that's not exactly what it says, because the way I'm describing it is, if there is an enforcement, it is always against the master developer. I'm sorry, say that again. If there is an enforcement action, it is always against the master developer who is the party with us to the TIG. So we're not, what I'm saying is that we should not be targeting any unnamed and unknown third party developer because if there is a violation of the terms of our TIG agreement, it is always the master developer who's responsible to us. And that is covered by the original language. You got that? You understand what's happening here? They drafted a policy, went through the committee process, and it said master developer is on the hook. They need to ensure that when they subcontract out, to a, a residential developer, if it's part of a bigger project, they tell that the third party, this is what you're going to be required to do. And that, and if you don't, it's going to jeopardize us. But now the city wants to throw in the third party. That's what, that's what Driggs is saying. This then prompts a lot of, you know, confusion that you heard earlier. And uh, so Driggs tries to offer some language to Mayor Pro Tem Julie Eisel. I think the Parties way I would have put it is the master developer remains responsible for the terms of the TIG regardless of any subsequent third-party transactions. Right? That's right. the way I would put right. it. Yeah. And so I think, if I may... This is Watling. I say that that is absolutely what you described as the intent. Um, I, I like what you said, Mayor Pro Tem. I would even suggest uh, by a master developer, including third party development just change or to including um but that is the intent i think how we hash that out is a part of the enforcement or component including other parties to the development correct correct and i'm happy to amend the motion to reflect that because i think it it maintains the integrity of the uh intent what would that wording be then? i i actually um think that that is one of the things that the staff will have to do working through this the mayor. to figure out what the right language is. And so what's legally possible, I don't know. I th you've yeah. got to go through all of this. And so I, I think all of us are kind of saying the same thing. Yeah, kind of, but not really. This is what legislating on the fly sounds like. They're trying to they're trying to wordsmith this policy at the vote. That's what's going on, because. Obviously, some folks, I don't know who they are, I don't know all the players involved, but some folks were not satisfied with the way this new protected class was going to be identified, but also, and I think probably more importantly, who do they get to go after? I think that's what they're looking at. Who are we going to get to go after? Think of it this way. If I come in and I'm going to create a mixed-use development, and I lived in one of these, in the South Park area, it's awful, but... I lived in one of these, and it had a had different shops underneath, and it had residential. Uh, it had a it had a condo up top, it had condos up top, and it had a, apartments for rent. And the developer who built that project fifteen years ago, whatever, right? If they got some sort of city TIG funding for it, are they supposed to? You know, are, they're on the hook, right? Because they got the city funding. But what the city is talking about doing is going after the local renter, the local management company as well, right? They, they want to go after both, it sounds like. They want to hit, like, sort of double dip. That's what this sounds like to me. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but this is the problem with wordsmithing on the fly. Now, Ed Driggs offered up, you know, some proposed language, but he said, look, we should just vote on the original motion that came out of the committee, the original recommendation that came out of the committee. And Watlington keeps pushing 
No, it has to have this language that she just popped up onto a slide for everybody to see. They don't even have the hard copies in front of them. They don't even know what it is they're really voting on, which prompted all of the confusion. And that then prompted sort of the racialized privilege accusation. You will hear it up next. Talk 1110-993-WBT. According to this policy that the city council went over on uh, Monday night and approved, no enforcement yet, but uh, a developer or housing provider who gets city support for a project cannot deny renters who use what are known as Section 8 vouchers. The vouchers provide a federally funded subsidy to assist the tenant in rent payments. This according to uh, Jenna Contino or Contino or Gina Contino at the Charlotte Observer. City-supported housing includes developments that receive financial incentives, as well as real estate conveyance, tax increment grants, or TIGs, or capital-funded partnerships. This came out of the City Council Committee, which used to be called like the Neighborhood Committee or something, and now it's the Great Neighborhoods Committee or something. Well, not or something. It is the Great Neighborhoods Committee. See, because if we put an aspirational name on it, we'll totally achieve it. Um... They'll decide on adding specific language about which market rate housing is included in the policy. So this came to the council on Monday night. It obviously underwent some sort of a last-minute revision. That prompted pushback from Councilman Ed Driggs, who said we should just be voting on the motion or on the policy recommendation that came out of the committee rather than trying to wordsmith this thing on the fly when we don't know what impact that's going to have on our ability to enter into these tax increment grants because the apartment association they're they're they want to encourage participation with section 8 vouchers so does this then sort of lock up city funding and these types of projects don't happen is that what's going to this is the concern there is an unintended consequence angle so Driggs opposes it. Tark Bakari comes along. He says, I'm voting no. Uh, he said it's going to create problems for the city when it tries to create these TIGs in the future. And then shortly after this exchange, when it's obvious that, like, uh, Victoria Watlington, the councilwoman who's the chair of the Great Neighborhoods Committee, and this was her change. This was her baby. She's been pushing this through. And now she's getting all of this confusion and pushback and questions and all of this. She tries again to explain what is and is not in the measure being voted upon. What I'm moving to approve is the policy that is in the agenda with this adjustment in the applicability section. What's that on the screen? That's the question. Not plus. Not plus. This is a section that is currently in the item on the agenda. One moment, please. I'm speaking. One moment, please. It's a simple question. What's your motion? I am speaking. I'm really tired of you using your privilege to talk over people and disrespect folks in this this meeting. Uh, We have done it time and time again over the last several weeks. And And it's really, really tiring. You, you called her class earlier. All right, it's time out. to stop. Stop. Ridiculous. We're going to stop right now. I understand that <laughs> it can be frustrating, but let's have respect for each other. Please. And let's not interrupt or call people um, different words that should not be used at this time. It is what it is. All right, so let's, um, let's go back. I believe that the policy is in the agenda. All right, so let me get this straight. Ed Driggs is a racist white Privilege expressing cis normative hetero dude 
because he said the same thing that I think Julie Eiselt said or Renee Johnson said, um, that this is what the policy says, that you're putting up this slide and that it's the policy we're voting on plus what's on the slide. And she said, no, this is taking out that part. And then he interrupts her and she goes off the deep end. By the way, you'll have to go back and listen to the podcast to to notice this. But all of the clips that I played of Ed Driggs starts off with him being recognized by the mayor. They all start with that. So his questions that he asked, he was duly recognized by the mayor to ask these questions. There are other clips where Watlington interrupts her colleagues. Yeah, she got a pretty bad habit of that, too. Is that her privilege? Her privilege is showing that she gets to interrupt people and then just have a meltdown. Look, maybe, look, it was a five and a half hour meeting. This happened in the last, they've been going for like four hours or so at this point. This was one of the last items on their agenda. So, you know, maybe she got hangry. It's possible. Um, you know, maybe she, it's a long meeting and she was just getting frustrated. I have no doubt about that. She was getting frustrated uh, that these questions were coming up and look to her credit. She tried answering them. I, I was clear on what was happening. I would disagree with what happened because, again, if you're going to run something through a committee process, and I'm a process guy, if you're going to run stuff through a committee process, you don't then change the language hours before the vote in front of the body at large. You're, you're kind of taking a crap on the entire committee at that point. But that's what they did. And, and, and maybe it's their Democrat privilege that allows them to do that sort of thing without the media calling them out because – I'm looking at the Charlotte Observer stories. No mention of it there. And uh, they don't get called out for it. Not only that, they don't have to worry about their their proposal tanking because of it. She still got it passed. She still got it passed with all of the Democrats voting along with her. That's her privilege. That's Democrat privilege. So how about we start acknowledging that that exists in some places, because privilege does exist in some places for different people at different times. Absolutely. I don't know if Ed Driggs has privilege. Ed Driggs is simply pushing back on stupid ideas. That's all. It's a debate. It's a city council meeting. And if you are expecting to never be interrupted during a city council debate, then maybe you shouldn't be interrupting other people, too. Oh, But by the way, she did win the endorsement of the Charlotte Observer editorial board. So she's got that going for her. And of course, she got her policy adopted. All righty, that's a wrap. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.